kidding me? You are looking live. Winning cures everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Monday, July 18th edition of the show. And I am your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Big weekend of college football news. And, of course, we've got SEC Media Days going on this week, etc. I will have the Big Ten previews this week as well. So, again, continuing with the four shows a week format that we started last week. Uh, went to Vegas over the weekend. Thursday, July 14th through Sunday, July 17th. Had a fantastic time at Circa Sportsbook. Awesome guys. It treated me incredibly well. Uh, the VSIN studios are awesome. The Circa Sportsbook is great. The Stadium Swim is awesome. And uh, got to enjoy the, the Fremont Street experience, all that good stuff. Uh, great steak dinner out at Oscar Steakhouse over at the Plaza. A uh, lot, of, lot of fun stuff. We checked out the Mob Museum. Highly recommend if you've not checked that out before. And the Neon Museum as well. Uh, did just a, a ton of gambling, a ton of, uh, a ton of fun things. So we had a great time. For those that did not catch my tweet earlier, uh, Ben Affleck and J-Lo got married in Vegas on Saturday night. And of course, I joked around that, yeah, obviously that's the reason why we were in town for that weekend specifically. But really, I just wanted to go check out Circa. It was my first time to go and see Circa since they opened in late 2020 uh, in the middle of the pandemic. So I wanted to check it out. Derek Stevens and that bunch have done a just fantastic job with that place. I mean, it is unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, you can go check it out. They're on Twitter, at Circa Sports. Uh, just, I can't stress it enough. A phenomenal, phenomenal place to go spend some time. So, we are, uh, we are back in business this week, ready to rock and roll. So, why don't we go ahead and dive into it. We'll start off with SEC Media Days. Greg Sankey, of course... Uh, had a lot to say in his opening bit. Uh, first off, the news that popped over the weekend, Bush's Beans is the new official bean of the SEC. <laughs> which they signed a three-year deal. Uh, I guess that's cool. Uh, if you've seen the pictures with the dog, with all of the Bush's baked bean cans, it is phenomenal. Phenomenal entertainment for sure. But, uh, but Greg Sankey at SEC Media Days came out and started talking about quite a bit of stuff. He did say to the SEC Network early on that um, that the SEC is not going to get in the middle of uh, those teams, those schools that have grant of rights, which effectively eliminates ACC teams from joining the SEC. So any rumors, any talk about that can kind of be tossed out the window. Uh, we, we don't have to worry about talking about North Carolina in Virginia, in Florida State, and Clemson, etc. We're not gonna. We don't have to hash that all out again. Um, but some of the the interesting things that he did talk about, uh, he did mention in the press conference in the introductory talk when asked, he said that the SEC is already a super league, and when asked if Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC trumps USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten, he did mention that yes. He believes so, and I tend to agree with him. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely a bigger move for those two brands to join the SEC. It also 
helps keep a rivalry intact, which, of course, USC and UCLA is also a rivalry. But Texas and Oklahoma, a monster matchup. You've also got just more of a regional feel with this. You're not going all the way across the country to try and put together some kind of strange rivalries. You're not going to have a UCLA and Penn State rivalry. That's just a... It, it, I don't know that it will ever feel right. But Oklahoma and Texas A&M, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma and Alabama, uh, Texas against Georgia, stuff like that, Like that's regionally a little more understandable, right? Those make sense. Uh, USC and Michigan, eh. I mean, we've seen Rose Bowl matchups with it, but what exactly does that bring to the table, right? It, it's a fun matchup with, with big names, and it'll draw eyeballs, but there's no regional familiarity. Certainly say that. Uh, Greg Sankey did say that there's no sense of urgency to expand beyond 16 teams. Um, what else do we have? Oh, regarding the college football playoff. Sankey did say that conference championship access was a compromise that the alliance basically squashed. I, I found that very interesting. The SEC is leaning, and Sankey has said this multiple times, but they're kind of done with the idea of having any automatic qualifiers. Conference championships do not matter anymore when it comes to this next round of playoffs, which will start after the 2025 season. So, you know, they they all kind of had their shot. The Pac-12, the ACC, the Big 12, etc. Like, in the Big 12, voted along with the SEC. I think that Bob Bowlesby understood hey, if we want to make sure that we have our champion in this thing, we got to go with this. And those conferences were pushing for, no, we need to make sure that our five conferences are named. And those are the ones that are supposed to get it, not the top six conference champions, which was complete ridiculousness. And yes, I understand that a lot of this, why the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the ACC voted against it was so that the Big Ten could get Fox involved at the uh, negotiating table because ESPN had the exclusive negotiating rights. If you were to expand it initially, ESPN was going to get that first batch. But why you wouldn't just go ahead and do this makes no sense because now I don't believe that there is any way that we will get automatic qualifiers into the playoff, whether it be four team, eight teams, or 12 teams. I just I don't see a way that that happens without getting the Big Ten and the SEC on board. And I don't think the Big Ten is so worried about the Pac-12 and the ACC now. I think the Alliance ended up hurting two of those leagues. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, just a, a fun bit of early news from the SEC media days. And Zanke, of course, uh, coming out with haymakers, really. like it, Whatever he says in settings like this becomes massive news stories all the time. Let's talk a little realignment issues, news, whatever happened over the weekend. Gavin Newsom uh, blasts the lack of transparency in UCLA's move to the Big Ten. Now, why is this such a big deal for UCLA and not USC? Well, USC is a private school. They can effectively do whatever they want to do. UCLA, however, is a part of the UC system, the, U, uh, the California uh, educational system, California University system. Let's uh, let's jump over here. I want you to listen to this blip from an interview with Fox 11. He 
Do UCLA is leaving the Pac-12? I read about it. Heading to the Big I Ten? I read about it. Yeah. So they didn't tell you in advance. I'm the governor. No big deal. I'm governor, state of Cal. But, but maybe a bigger deal is I'm chair of the UC Regents. No one, I read about it. Is it a good idea? Did, I, did we have a discuss the merits or demerits? I'm not aware that anyone did. So it was, it was done in isolation. It was done without any regental oversight or support. It was done without any consideration to my knowledge. Now, perhaps there was deep conversation with other presidents, or rather chancellors and presidents in the system, and the impact more broadly, not just to the UCs, but to other universities, including Stanford University and basically the Berkeley system. Well, I have strong opinions about this for no other uh, reason that as a member of the regions, we were never consulted never asked for an opinion, and then any of the decency to provide head up, heads up. So trust me when I say this, we're not going to be looking into it. We already are looking into it within minutes after reading about this in the newspaper. Now, let's, let's talk about this. He brings up Stanford, which, again, why he would bring up Stanford that kind of lets me know that none of this has anything to do with the UC system. Uh, Stanford's a private school, much like USC. They have nothing to do with the UC system. So if it was going to affect anybody, it would affect Cal. That's the one that he should have mentioned. Instead, he mentioned Stanford. Now, if he wants to bring up Stanford, maybe he's got Stanford voters or people that are associated with him that are Stanford fans that are worried that this is going to hurt their university's athletics program. And they're probably right about that. Regardless, it still doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, when you look at some of the stuff, Matt Brown with the Extra Points newsletter uh, came out and went through a whole lot of different people that he interviewed and asked, like, what, what does this mean? You know, because there, are, there were other conversations that were had that maybe uh, the UC Board of Regents could uh, maybe block this. Maybe block it from happening, in which case, uh, I'm sure that <laughs> that the Big Ten would be fine with just going and inviting Stanford and saying, forget it. Like, we, we don't have to have U, uh, UCLA. Uh, I, I think it would still work both ways, but I'm, I'm, a, little, I'm a little concerned here. Um, when you look at the, the interviews, Dr. Sarah Hill, professor of political science at Cal State Fullerton, uh, her hypothesis on this said, I honestly think this is just a governor with a bruised ego. Uh, she said, this is a huge decision that UCLA and USC made, and he's mad that they did not consult him and make the decision, or and that they made the decision without him even knowing that it happened. I really do think it's straightforward and the kind of reaction you would see from any governor in that position. The issue here is that I don't know that Gavin Newsom ever really goes to any of these Board of Regents meetings or anything like that. Uh, Dr. Smith said normally the governor does not even attend those meetings. So I, this is not going to affect anything. They can talk about it all they want to. Uh, when you look at what John Wilner said in the hotline, in the Pac-12 hotline, he said a spokesperson for the UC office of the president told the hotline that the regents have no authority to prevent UCLA's move. There is no requirement for a decision from the University of California Board of Regents or the Office of the President. And then it says, UCLA leadership informed President Drake that discussions between UCLA and the Big Ten were occurring, but he was not involved at all in those discussions or in any negotiations. 
UCLA remains best positioned to answer the questions as decisions related to athletics are formulated and executed at the campus level. The conference that you play for, as far as athletics goes, really has nothing to do with the school, which you can argue back and forth about whether that's true or not. But bottom of the line, or the bottom line, excuse me, is this thing's done. And there's a, Gavin Newsom can get fired up all he wants to, but this is a, a losing battle for him. Uh, why he would get so irritated about it, I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Uh, because this is, I mean, that you, you can't stop this now that it's already in motion, that it's already done. I mean, what are we what are we talking about? You you need to make sure if you are the chair of the board of regents that you at least understand what the bylaws are, right? I mean that's that's kind of the way that I look at it. All right, let's uh, let's work into some funny stuff before we jump into an ad here. Uh, Walker Hayes put out a new song called "Y'all Life," and the SEC tweeted it out and talked about uh, doing a collaboration or whatever. Apparently, this song was going to be the new song for SEC Saturdays this fall for football season. Uh, The article from Keith Farner over at Saturday Down South said, Walker Hayes is not a popular artist among SEC fans, at least the fans who quickly voiced their reaction on social media on Friday afternoon. The SEC has apparently reversed course on a collaboration, at least the marketing portion of it, with Hayes, a country music singer. Fans did not appreciate the new song, Y'all Life, that the SEC promoted just days ahead of SEC Media Days next week in Atlanta, this week, of course, and later this afternoon, the conference deleted the original tweet. So Walker Hayes, of course, commented back to it and said, um, yes, about a collaboration on it. And the tweets in response were just ridiculous. Uh, Prancing Rooster said, this is the worst idea you've had since you came up with putting Missouri in the East. Uh, you've got breaking Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, and Florida all announced plans to leave the SEC after the conference drops the Walker Hayes collaboration. Uh, Walker Hayes is the Macklemore of country music. SEC Twitter just cyberbullied the conference to back out of using Walker Hayes for the song of the conference this year. I mean, it's it is absolutely insane. I here's what I want to know: Who does Walker Hayes know? Like, and how does he continue getting? opportunities like this he he of course has the Applebee song I think it's called fancy like or something along those lines nobody liked that one I mean it was people absolutely let their vitriol for this song out oh during last football season why would you think bringing in another song that sounds almost exactly like that would be a good idea I mean the fact that SEC deleted the tweet is something else like if you if you were worried about any, and I'm sure that they had no idea that it was going to get this kind of a backlash, but man, to be completely tone deaf and not have any idea what your fans like and don't like, it says a lot about the conference marketing department. I will I will certainly say that. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous on that part. Let's hit some ads. We got a few more notes that we are going to jump into on the backside. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments, along with other goodies as well. 
We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com slash store and see what all we've added. And now, back to the show. All right. Anthony Richardson, who is the quarterback for the Florida Gators uh, for this season, he is dropping his nickname. Everybody called him AR-15 for a long time, but he stated... Uh, on his Twitter page, that he is getting rid of that nickname because of mass shootings. This is what the statement says. After discussions with my family and much thought, I have decided to no longer use the nickname AR-15 and the current apparel line logo, which features a uh, scope reticle um, as part of my branding. While a nickname is only a nickname and AR-15 was simply a representation of my initials combined with my jersey number, It is important to me that my name and brand are no longer associated with the assault rifle that has been used in mass shootings, which I do not condone in any way or form. My representatives and I are currently working on rebranding, which includes the creation of a new logo and transitioning to simply using AR and my name, Anthony Richardson. Now, that totally makes sense to me. I get it, right? Because you don't want to be associated with something like that. But it is... It's going to be tough to move away from that because it, it became such a widely known nickname last season when Florida was going down the tubes and they were still playing Emory Jones and, and all of this. I don't know how quickly he'll be able to transition away from that, but releasing a statement like this can kind of help things, and especially with networks like ESPN, you should be able to, I would imagine... They will, they will not use that on broadcasts, etc. And if you don't use it on the broadcasts, then you shouldn't have too much problem getting away from it. His next big thing will be, uh, whatever his merchandise line will be, come out with a different way of doing it. So it won't be AR-15, it'll just be AR, or we'll just call him Anthony Richardson. And so I'll do my best to stick away from it, but uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, the AR-15, pretty cool nickname. Pretty cool nickname. I'm not going to... I'm not going to lie. I, I understand all the bad things associated with it, but I mean, what are you going to do? You know, I, I, I thought it was okay. I th- you know, like it's uh it, it is what it is. We'll stick away from that. All right. We'll move on from there. And we are talking now about Caleb Williams. Of course, the USC quarterback, former Oklahoma quarterback, quite a spat over the weekend. He came out and Mike Farrell uh, said that uh, Caleb Williams's dad says that OU fans drove his son away. And he said that his reaction to this is that it is beyond ridiculous that Caleb Williams was gone and entering the portal and not expecting Oklahoma to get another quarterback is laughable. Now, Caleb Williams responded to this and said, do you want to take this down? The fans and my old teammates are the reason... Uh, the reason on why I almost stayed. Not not the best grammar, but regardless. he And I do believe that. I do believe that the fans are a reason why he almost stayed. But by saying that you almost stayed, that's letting everybody know that you were absolutely leaning towards going to USC. Right? You, you signed up to go play for Lincoln Riley. 
I don't think anybody's upset at the fact that you left after all that. So uh, he did say that, and then it came back to this. Mike jumped in and said, more than happy to have you and your dad on for interview to share your side. All I can go on is quotes given to others. To which Caleb Williams responded, nobody wants to do one of your stupid high school interviews. We aren't driving up your views talking about the past and something that isn't true. I'm the one that made the decision, and I have my reasons on why. Talking about more than happy to have you, trust me, I know you would. And he puts a laughy face. I don't understand why Caleb Williams would even respond to this. If he does not believe that Mike is a legitimate reporter, a legitimate journalist, why would you even comment? That's that's what I don't understand. Uh, And a lot of people want to jump in and, oh, yeah, yeah, you got him. You got him. Uh, they're all talking bad about Mike now. Like, bottom line is this: like, Mike was just offering his opinion on something, and there was no reason for Caleb Williams to jump in, regardless of whether it was true or not. Why start a beef with somebody? And and the reason he could do this is he's the number one quarterback in the country. I mean, he's you know at, at least was in the transfer portal, all that. He he's got a big name, etc. But this this lets me know. Uh, kind of the person that Caleb Williams is. There was no reason to attack Mike over this. The reports are all over the place. Like, unless you were going to go comment on everybody, why did you pick his? Just because it had a graphic? I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the way that that was handled. I don't like when athletes do this. Uh, yes, I understand wanting to make sure that you clear the air or whatever, but you can be nicer than that. There's just no reason to be rude because Mike wasn't rude. It just irritates me. And it's not like I'm buddies with Mike. I don't even know him on a personal level. I'm just a little irritated when uh, when people do this. So, regardless, the Pac-12, there was a report over the weekend. <laughs> and it just cracks me up. Uh, the, the most duh comment possible was the 247 report that Pac-12 is unlikely to add Hawaii in expansion. Yeah. Yeah, we knew that. We knew that the Pac-12 was not going to add Hawaii. Uh, John Canzano, in his mailbag, actually talked about it. Because somebody asked, I saw a piece last week about Hawaii maybe being a candidate for Pac-10 membership, which I like how they've already changed the name back. Uh, new stadium underway and not a bad TV market. Wonder what your Fox Media expert thinks. And he answered very quickly. Hawaii is a beautiful place to visit. The state has only 445,000 television households. Honolulu's TV market, DMA, captures all of those homes and ranks as the number 65 market in the country. For that reason, Hawaii is not a great expansion option. Also, the travel is tough. Yes, the travel is incredibly difficult. To Hawaii, it, it's a completely different world that you're going to play in. Um, on top of that, like Hawaii's had all kinds of issues, and their their new stadium is not going to be open until like maybe 2026. I think we talked about it on the show here, but there's just a ton of reasons why you wouldn't add Hawaii as a major power conference member, uh, and that is if the Pac-12 still considers themselves to be a major power conference. I would imagine that they do, but regardless. Now, the other part of this is, could the Pac-12 be losing Colorado? Now, there have been 
multiple things that popped up uh, over the weekend. Jason Shear, of course, from Wildcat Authority, he uh, he was in Vegas on the weekend, but on Friday, the, Cal- uh, the Colorado Board of Regents held an executive meeting regarding its Pac-12 contract. It was originally not on the itinerary. And you can see there that uh, under recommended action, it says uh, they were trying to get legal advice on a specific matter, Pac-12 contract update. Now, that could mean a bunch of different things, right? Uh the latest that's coming from the media rights negotiations, what do they think the school is actually worth, etc. The other part of this is the Colorado president gave an interview and did not mention staying in the Pac-12. I think that they are still, you know, as much as everybody is still talking about the Pac-12 trying to stay together, uh, I don't believe that everybody is fully bought in on staying together. Everybody wants to know what the options are. Right, The back door is always open. They can always go wherever it is that they want to go because nobody has signed anything just yet. Uh, It says today in the Denver Gazette, Ted Salomon, president of the CU system, in an interview with the Denver Gazette, uh, was asked, while CU is all about academics, there's obviously another side with college sports. Is it worth the university's resource to keep up with these other institutions, such as USC or UCLA, who are leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten? How will their departure impact the university? And Salman said, we're currently in the process of figuring out those changes that are happening in the Pac-12 and the ripple effects that those will have throughout college athletics. We're committed to having competitive teams uh, for where we support student-athletes at both CU Boulder and UCCS. It's really important that UCCS has outstanding Division II sports also. But for many people, athletics is the front door for the University of Colorado. That's what they know about and hear about uh, that on our outreach trips. Uh, They pull up to talk about it. And we love to engage with them about it, but we also love to talk to them about the incredible education that we provide and the research that we do. But there's no doubt athletics are the front door for many people. I love going to the games, going to the meets, watching our athletes in action, but they are students first. They are student athletes. We are committed to doing right by them to help them get across the finish line also and have the support they need to be successful academically as well. At no point in there did he mention anything about staying in the Pac-12. All he mentioned is... Basically, we're in the process of figuring out the changes that are happening in the Pac-12. And that makes perfect sense because uh, what else would you do? I mean, there's no reason to say matter-of-factly that, yes, we are staying in the Pac-12. Colorado could certainly look at the Big 12. I don't know that they align academically with the schools in the Big 12 but does that necessarily matter when it comes down to TV contracts for your athletics programs? I, I don't know that it does. So you look at what you've got over in the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever. Then you look at what the Big 12 has to offer. You try and figure out all these media negotiations. And then you make the best decision for your school and for those student-athletes. I think that's what gets lost in this. Is the more money that you can get from these TV deals the better you can treat your athletes. Bottom line. So, I mean, it's what the all the G5 schools have been trying to do. UCF going to the Big 12 doesn't make a lot of sense regionally, but also, like, it, it makes about as much sense as the AAC that they did. I mean, it, it it's, all, it's all bananas, but the money issue is still a thing. Still a thing. All right. Let's hit some ads. We got a couple more things on the backside, including the most expensive games to attend in 2022. And I've got the list of the top 10 overachievers as far as wins over expected from 2021. 
Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at Gary WCE and at Chris B Giannini, or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show, too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com, and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. All right, to close out the show today, we've got the most expensive games to attend in 2022. Reddit CFB put together a pretty good list. This was LaMarcus Aldridge, one, two, three, four, uh, Michigan fan. And the list is pretty interesting. And the reason I wanted to get into it, uh, we're just going to do the top 10. He did the top 25, but I'm going to roll through the top 10 here. Uh, There were some different ones than you might expect at the top of this list. We'll start off here. Navy and Army on December 10th is $211 just to get in. That one makes perfect sense. Auburn at Alabama, November 26th, $214. That makes sense. Iron Bowl, of course. Number eight, Penn State at Auburn. You don't normally get a non-conference matchup like that on the Plains, so that makes sense. Nebraska versus Northwestern. You wouldn't typically expect that Except, remember, that game is a neutral site game in Dublin, Ireland. They don't get a lot of college football games in Dublin, Ireland. So, when you see something like this pop up, of course, you are going to expect a pretty high ticket price. The stadium where they're playing is not huge, and it's a very rare event that's going on over there. Number six, Notre Dame at Ohio State. Of course, that makes sense. 225 bucks to get in. Number five, Arizona at San Diego State. Now, this game is going to be broadcast on CBS on opening weekend. September 3rd, it is $227 to get in. And this is, the reason why this is so high on the list, why it's even on the list, is because it is the grand opening of the new Snapdragon Stadium, the new on-campus stadium for San Diego State. And this is another one of those situations because San Diego State's on-campus stadium only holds 35,000 people. It's a massive, massive deal in San Diego. So, yeah, 227 bucks to get in, uh, to see the grand opening, to see a Pac-12 team come in there. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And it's a game that San Diego State can win, right? It's a game against a Pac-12 team. I mean, this is the same team that beat Utah last year. So, yes, absolutely. Number four on the list, Alabama at Texas. Again, rare matchup, 234 bucks to get in. That one makes sense. Uh, number one here, Texas and Oklahoma, obviously makes sense. That's $284. Texas A&M at Alabama, that one shot up the board because of the Jimbo Saban fight that went on through the media back just a, a month or so ago, a couple months ago. So, uh, but number three here is the one that I wanted to talk about. North Carolina versus App State. That's on September 3rd. Now, the game is being played at App State. Now, why is this such a huge deal? North Carolina is not a great football program, etc. App State, a G5 monster. 
$241 get in on opening weekend. Look, this is happening at Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone, North Carolina, and that is the ticket right there. That is the issue. It is in Boone, North Carolina. It is a G5 monster that's hosting the flagship state school. And of course that makes sense as to why the ticket price would be so crazy. You are not often going to see a team like North Carolina going to App State, and App State has a legitimate chance to win the game. Absolutely legitimate chance to win the game. But it does also question, like, why? If you're North Carolina, what are you doing? Like, they play at App State and then at Georgia State the next weekend. I mean, just bananas. Bananas on their part. Like, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Um, But, yeah, those are the top ten there. Uh, The other ones, Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State at Penn State, BYU versus Notre Dame in Las Vegas, Michigan and Ohio State, Auburn, Georgia, Oregon, Georgia, Oklahoma, Nebraska. um, Excuse me, excuse me. Uh, no, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Michigan State, Michigan, Tennessee, Georgia, USC, Utah, Alabama, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Minnesota, Penn State, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma, Florida State at Miami, and Michigan at Iowa. All of those make perfect sense. Again, you're not going to see a ton of App States or San Diego States on that list, but those did make sense to me. Hopefully they do to you after the explanations. So we'll close out with this one. We have been doing some top ten lists. We will continue that in the end of the show today we're going to talk about the teams that overachieved in 2021 post-game win expectancy is a metric that is done by bill Connolly, by uh parker fleming of course at stats of war uh, collegefootballdata.com that's where i'm actually getting mine from looking at the post-game win expectancy for each game from last season and then tallying it all up and seeing exactly who had the most wins over expected, right? We'll start with number 10. Ball State. Ball State went 6-6 six and six last year. Their postgame win expectancy said that they should have won 4.17 games. That is a 1.83 uh, wins over expected. That is, they shouldn't have even made a bowl game, and yet there they were sitting at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, These are regular season records, by the way. I didn't toss bowl games in here. Number 9 is Purdue. Uh, Purdue went eight and four. Their postgame win expectancy said that they should have won six point oh two games. That's one point nine eight, so almost two full games. Number eight, surprisingly, Alabama. They played thirteen games, and the reason I'm putting the thirteenth game is the SEC championship game. Uh, their postgame win expectancy said that they should have had nine point nine six wins, so they were two point oh four wins over expected here. Number seven is Baylor. Now, they played 13. They went 11-2 and two in those, and their postgame win expectancy was 8.55. So, 2.45 wins over expected here. Eastern Michigan went 7-5 and five in the regular season, and they were 2.47 because they should have gone uh, 4.53. I mean, they 4.53 wins, so 4.5 wins. Eh, okay. Oklahoma, another one that won 10 games, uh, and their postgame win expectancy said 7.47. That's 2.53 there. Number four is Wake Forest, another one with 10 wins. And 7.45 was their uh, postgame win expectancy. And they, uh, you know, 2.55, that's uh, that's pretty ridiculous. It is what makes me a little squeamish on my expectations for the Demon Deacons this year. UTSA, another one of those, 12-1 and one in the regular season along with the CUSA championship game. 
Post-game win expectancy said 9.18, so they were 2.82 wins over expected. Iowa, 10-3 and last year. Their post-game win expectancy said 6.73 wins. So instead of 10 wins, they probably should have only had about 7, uh, maybe 6 in some cases. So, you know, there's a reason why Iowa's win total is around 7 or 7.5 seven right now for this coming season. But yeah, 3.27 wins over expected there. The next one, this might make Florida fans a little little worried, or it could make them believe that, oh, we, we definitely hired a good coach. Billy Napier, 12-1 and one as the head coach at Louisiana last season. His postgame win expectancy was 8.29 and 4.71. That is 3.71 wins over expected. Nearly four more wins than they were supposed to have based on just the stats, right? Uh, you can go read more about this over at collegefootballdata.com, but postgame win expectancy tells you basically what percentage of the time you would win that game with the exact same stats. There were multiple games that they probably should have lost last year at Louisiana and yet found a way to win. And so I I think that that's a, a pretty big deal. And the way that Louisiana played last year was they they hung in games with teams that they absolutely should have beaten, and they let those teams hang around too long. But when they played against good competition, App State, uh, et cetera, they showed up and, and handled their business. So, you know, it was a strange, strange season for Louisiana last year. Uh, but that is going to wrap things up as far as today's show goes. Remember, we do have the Big Ten previews, the West and the East divisions coming up this week. And then, of course, we'll be back on Thursday with more news from Media Days, etc. Hopefully, you guys have subscribed to the show already. If you haven't, please do so. Jump into the comments, jump into the chat on YouTube, and leave a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. We love written reviews. That certainly helps us out. Share the show out, tell your friends about it, etc. Lots of good things coming up because, I mean, we are very, very close to the opening of football season And I cannot wait. Cannot wait. All right, with that said, we're going to go ahead and close this thing out. You guys take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com. And if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at Winning Cures, or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.